Welcome to episode 70 of the Green Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality. I'm your host, Matt Morley, and today I'm in the US talking to Neil Collins, co-founder and CEO of Latitude Regenerative Real Estate, a holistic real estate business based around the five key concepts of health and wellness, sustainability, community, ecology, and spirit. This conversation goes a little differently, and in fact weighs in at double my usual running time, effectively because Neil and I decided to go toe-to-toe, interviewing each other and publishing the results on both of our respective podcast channels. So you'll hear much more of me than normal, but you'll also hear about his journey from the world of non-profit to real estate brokerage and on into regenerative real estate. We look at concepts such as wellness real estate itself, healthy buildings, but also traditional wisdom, social justice, the role of ESG and community values in the property sector today. So we bounce around a bit, but this was a genuinely rich conversation. So let's get into it. Here he is, Mr. Neil Collins from Latitude. Hey, everybody. I am Neil Collins with the Regenerative Real Estate Podcast and co-founder of Latitude Regenerative Real Estate. And I am Matt Morley with the Green Healthy Places podcast, founder of BioFit Gym Consultants and Biophilico Healthy Buildings. Matt, this is this is a real treat. This is the first time, at least on the Regenerative Real Estate podcast, that we have had a simultaneous podcast go out. Um, so it 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 is awesome. Let I would love to just start it off taking taking the reins and and asking you. Um, What's your background and, and how did you get into to doing green real estate, wellness real estate and, and the podcast? Yeah, well, look, first of all, great to be here. Great to connect. I think these transatlantic conversations can, can bring an extra layer of depth to, to what we both do. Uh, I think there's there are slightly different perspectives from you know, pure geography and also exposures to different markets and and clearly slightly different angles within what is broadly speaking the same uh, industry, but we're obviously doing different things. My background is I spent the first five years of my life working for a, a consultancy that specialized in hotel brands. So we were very much about initial brand strategy for hotels and resorts, uh, branded experiences, brand standard documents and really getting under the skin of different luxury hotel and resort brands that then evolved into real estate. And from there, I ended up spending almost 10 years in-house with a real estate developer, building a mixed use real estate development in uh, Europe on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, That was a combination of a marina, a landside, uh, residential, commercial spaces, and yeah, in the end, I was essentially kind of like a creative director character working alongside the architects, construction teams, operations and marketing in developing micro businesses within the wider context of this uh, village development. So we basically built a town over a decade or so. And there is nothing like working in-house for a fast paced, high powered developer to really get you up to speed on the realities of, of how to do these projects and how to make them uh, succeed. And the only shift really for me from there was that, you know, this interest and passion for 
well-being on one side and then sustainability on the other. It just wasn't being nourished by that experience. There wasn't really a well-being strategy in place, nor were they doing much by way of sustainability. And you know, I just needed to scratch that itch. It just wasn't uh, aligning with my value system. It was becoming quite clear that actually, you know, that's what I was put on this earth to do at least over the next decade or so. Uh, and I had to make the switch away. And that was when I, I launched a to set up by myself. So very much, you know, from the inside stepping out and then adding in these additional pieces around sustainability and, and wellness and finding that niche, which is, uh, yeah, now working as a consultant alongside developers and resort and hotel brands uh, with the perspective of having been on the other side of the equation and now looking from the outside in, but trying to deliver services in a way that keeps it lean and, uh, and responds to their requirements as best I can. So, you know, I don't have huge teams and huge offices. It's me, essentially they're buying into myself plus one to two analysts, consultants and uh, designers, interior designers on each project. Um, so that's how I'm set up. What about yourself? Tell me. Oh yeah, man, we have, we've got a lot of ground to cover then. Uh, my background was early on in the nonprofit sector actually working for a charity out of the UK where we were doing whale shark research in the Maldives uh, and, and using that research to help inform marine protected areas and climate change adaptation policies. And that is incredible work. I, I, I loved every minute of it, especially getting to, to swim in the ocean every day. Um, and that's where I really became really fascinated around community development and, and how do communities come together to create resilience. Uh, but I, I kept noticing that all the power dynamics, especially in a place like the Maldives was concentrated in the hands of the developers. It was, it was quite lopsided. Uh, I ended up coming back to the United States thinking I was gonna get a, a degree and then go back international and, and work in that arena. Uh, but I became interested in, in real estate and like you ended up getting on uh, essentially as a consultant, helping to, to build large mixed use projects. These are kind of waterfront projects that uh, you're creating 17 city blocks and you know, the buildings are 50 to $300 million. And that was at a scale that didn't quite resonate with me for a long term. I, I wanted to be more in control of the project that whenever you're position between the developer that's talking with private equity and the architects and you're having to redo everything on a minute by minute basis. Um, that's whenever we decided how do we how do we invest in real estate and create the kinds of of homes and and really habitats that that we believe in. And so we got really good and proficient at working with off market properties. Um, and figuring out how, how to do creative finance. And that led into a portfolio where we had to manage it. Um, and we went down this interesting path towards the service sector where because we were managing our own properties, we thought let's manage other people's properties. And so we put our heads down and started to grind for several years. And uh, about six years later, woke up with a, a fairly sizable property management company. We had started to help our clients uh, buy, sell, and trade properties. So we had gained about 20 real estate agents. And it coincided with the time that our elders uh, came down with terminal diagnoses around cancer. Another one had ALS, well, a couple had cancer. 
And whenever you're, you're running something that you built that gives you no joy and actually sucks your energy and you have a family crisis going on, um, we went down this rabbit hole of, of realizing that, you know, it's the materials that we're using to build with, it's how we're designing, it's the food that we're eating and the air that we're drinking and just found statistic after statistic that all boiled back to how do we design, manage and steward our place. And that's whenever we shut everything down and said, you know what, we have to figure out how to bring sustainability and wellness into our work. And we realized that in a la 2019, sustainability in real estate was much more focused in the United States around energy efficiency, electric vehicles, electrification, solar panels, and all amazing things. But it was not scratching the surface around our other tenements, around community and ecology and health and wellness, uh, and, and really the spirit of place so that that reciprocity that we can all have with creating life-giving habitats. And so that's whenever we jumped in into the pond of, of saying, this is regeneration and our domain is real estate. So let's, let's really start to jam on regenerative real estate. And it's all been uh, an amazing generative journey since then. And how, if I may ask, how clearly defined was the product and service proposition when you leapt in? Was it a case of understanding a market opportunity, understanding your own capacities and your team resources, the expertise that you could bring and a way to fill that gap? And was it all pretty much in place when you set out or was it a case of feeling your way through and and slowly figuring out what the market wanted, or perhaps were there a, a few wrong turns along the way. I think that that journey of entrepreneurialism is is always a fascinating one. And people, I often have many people asking, you know, how did you how did you get to where you are? And certainly in my case, you know, it was a very meandering path. Uh, so yeah. I'd be interested in here how how you got to where you are. Yeah, I would say our journey is like that of a braided river. You know, you you can see where you want to go. You you can. It's, it's almost palpable in my mind what kind of environments that the industry needs to be creating. Not only single family homes, but we're talking apartment buildings and flats. We're talking commercial spaces, schools. Um, and so we know that this is where, where we want to get. Now, how do we back back into that? And where is our expertise? We could have gone a couple of different directions. It could have been commercial, where it sounds like you've really leaned into. Uh, but I've really enjoyed sitting down at the kitchen table with people and really trying to pull out from them, you know, what is your vision? What do you need? What are those resources uh, from financing to technical expertise? And if people are aligned and they, they are driven by purpose of, of wanting to create and transform, that's where we've really found a lot of enthusiasm and then figuring out that there are other businesses and organizations that are so values aligned that we actually need them. And so our playbook has really been, how do we go find those others? How do we create that tribe and that ecosystem where the business model hasn't always been clear? I mean, transacting real estate is, can be pretty mind numbing 
because the industry has only given the metrics of success as you, the more successful you are means the more clients that you're working with. And eventually you're going to be able to outsource the things that you don't like to do to go open doors and to do contracts and to do marketing. And, and you grow from there. There is no level of success that says, how do we work with clients to create habitats that we know are critically needed and to create that infrastructure right now. And so once we started to put out that message, I mean, it was the regenerative real estate podcast that was an, a method of inquiry to find these real estate professionals like yourself to say, Matt, what are you doing? How do you see this corner of the industry? And from there, it was real estate professionals from across North America raising their hands being like, I am so burnt out on the transactional nature of this industry. I came into it for financial reasons and financial freedom. But if I don't change my branding, if I don't change the approach that I'm taking, then I'm going to exit entirely. And so we've, we've really built off of that from jamming on the model of what does it look like as a real estate agent? So the buy and the sell, but we really bring in hardcore. What does it look like to help people transform? Um, so with that, you know, a somebody that, that went into the, the commercial route, it sounds like you're working with larger developments. Um, I saw that you have, uh, gyms and spas and, and things like that like why why enter into that side like where was it a market that that was telling you because i i can certainly see a lot of dollars flowing through the commercial side of of the industry um but but what was it like for you that that jumping off point to go on your own you know i think a lot of lessons have been learned over the last uh <clears throat> yeah eight years or so since i I stepped away from a full-time role in in-house with with the developer, and it was a it was a, a slow but but steady transition uh, from full-time to part-time, just doing a few consultancy gigs. Um, you know, I, I remember very clearly a conversation with my then CEO saying, "Look, I've got this idea uh, around creating a, a sustainable gym brand, uh, basically like a green CrossFit." Uh, nobody's doing it. Nobody's talking about the benefits of connecting nature and health and fitness within a movement space. So how can how can I basically come in and disrupt that market and create something for an emerging generation of more eco-conscious consumers who don't necessarily want consumers or uh, exercises in this case, who don't necessarily want the same product and service offer that, that most gyms as I see it today were offering. So, you know, I began... Uh, with something that really doesn't resemble where I am today. I went from high-level mixed-use real estate development, so a combination of resi and commercial and destination management, creating a destination. I then went right down to the other end of the spectrum with a, a micro-business. So I was creating these micro-businesses within the, the overall scheme of the, the mixed-use development. I basically had an idea for one of these micro-businesses of my own, and went out to try and uh, raise capital and set up what I thought would be a multi-site brand. In the process of doing that, it became clear that I wasn't equipped for it. Uh, and in fact, I was in danger of trying to, going through all of this, you know, a couple of work years of, of building a team and trying to raise capital and you know, putting this concept together until you get to a point and you think, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure 
what I'm trying to build is actually what I want to do. The idea is great. The concept and values behind it is great. But do I want to be the guy on the reception desk in even the world's greenest health and fitness club uh, for the next two or three years? Because, you know, you're looking at the business plan and there isn't the cash in the cash flow model to pay someone else to do that. So, you know, two years in, I've done the work. I've sort of effectively created a pop-up space uh, to create some proof of concept in London. In the process of doing that, remember looking at the budget plan for the few years and realizing that I was basically going to have to manage this thing. So I, I created a pop-up and managed the green gym in London for about a month. And you know, I hardly slept. I was going completely crazy doing just about everything that was required. And there were elements of it that were invigorating and others that I just thought, this, is, this isn't me. I, I'm not suited for this type of work. I'm a combination of creative and, and strategy. That, that's actually what I want to be doing. I'm not the day-to-day -day operator, but I was trying to create a business that required a general manager, day-to-day, on-the-ground, customer-facing. And you know, around about that same time, I got a call from a gentleman in, in Canada, Calgary, who had become my first client, saying, look, I, I've seen what you're up to. I like this pop-up space. I've got, a, I've got a, a new build that I'm developing here in Calgary. Could you come and do it for me? And one of the main lessons, the biggest lessons without doubt of the last eight years for me on an entrepreneurial journey has been listening and taking the cues and the hints and the tips that the market gives you. It's gold dust. That one call was a huge pivot away from owner-operator model, own brand development model, which would have been a snail's pace, to how can I help other people in this world of health and fitness, where I was starting out, to do similar things. So how can I create for them spaces that have some element of natural fitness, of biophilia, of sustainability? So it was still relatively pure, but it was more of a service-based offer rather than my setting up my own business and really that was where the shift happened and then over the course of a couple of years those projects went from being specifically health and fitness to we have a corporate office in Switzerland we like what you do with all this biophilic design there's not many people doing it could you do it for an office and again boom light bulb moment the second business biophilico is born from that one corporate client that was not a sort of a natural foods business but like a yeah it was a huge food giant in Switzerland it was all about nature and wellness and they said look nobody's really specializing in this we see something in what you're doing could you apply that to a different space and you know sometimes you think gosh they've seen it before I did uh, and you just have to listen to those calls and emails because they really are uh, they're able to completely change your life if you know how to read into them. And so that was yeah, where the second business came from. So it's, it was very much responsive to what, was, what the market needed. I was, in a sense, trying to push this concept through. Market wasn't ready for it. I'm not even sure it's ready for it now. But elements of that offer had value in them. And through a largely content-based marketing or sales and marketing strategy that content got through to the right people that I needed to be talking to and they saw in what I was doing something that appealed to them and then it happened again two years on three years after that it's happening again to me now where 
clients are ringing from, say, the hotel world and saying, we see that what you do in the world of hotels and resorts and, and residential real estate, we see that you do sustainability, could you help us develop a market-leading sustainability strategy and some sustainability standards for the brand rather than doing any of this biophilic design. We like that you understand it, but we don't need that. We just need your thinking. So put on your thinking cap and come and do some cerebral work for us. So, you know, pivot number three takes us to business number three, which would be green, healthy places. And, you know, it is that sense of, well, perhaps in a way I've gone from the micro slowly up to the more macro level now working at, at a strategic real estate developer slash hotel brand level and it's a very different skill set in a sense still a combination of creative and strategy but far more on the strategic side so you know i think for anyone starting out in this business and i'll, I'll then flip this one back to you but you know people do ask what's the best way in you know how do we get in to do what what you do what do i study what courses do I do? And, you know, I don't know how you see this, but I'm not sure there is one route in. You, know, you want to be a lawyer, you study law, you want to be a doctor, you go to med school. To do what we do in this space, I think the interesting piece is that there are just any number of routes in. You can be a civil engineer, an architect, or someone like me, more of a creative background, but if you can build up the experience and you have a passion and you genuinely share this value system that we all have developed in ourselves. If you want to be a part of that, there's space for you. There's space for you to play a role. And, you know, I, that was spending some time reading into what you guys do and the website. I was like, gosh, yeah, I haven't seen this. I, I just haven't seen anyone specializing in what you are doing. And you've created that little space. You've created that niche. So tell me, in terms of that, that background element, if, if you were then looking back out and, and seeing how people could potentially get into the industry today, what would be your, what recommendations might you be able to pass on to the next generation? Yeah, I, I think there's something in your story that, that I really identify with, and I hope that people can look internally to say, if, if you get a call and they're saying, Matt or Neil or Sarah, can you do this for me? Like you're putting this out, but you know, we're, we're looking for something a little bit different, but it, it's similar. If you get really excited about that gap <laughs> that you're like, Oh, Oh my goodness. I, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do that, but I know that I can deliver and I'm up for the challenge. That is a sign of an amazing entrepreneur. And right now the playbook that we're going on is, is really follow follow our passion and follow that, that overarching purpose and realize that we have enough of a industry understanding of how construction works, how consulting works, how finance works, how transactions work, that we can start to break apart those different models and combine things to see if they work. And, and also realize that now is not a time to go out and try to compete with everybody, but it's to figure out who's in that field how do we build the field together? And then how do we start to collaborate? And the best word that I can really describe the, our work is around how do we create interdependence with other people that either want to work on our brand doing very similar things. So really uh, updating this outdated model of the real estate agent 
like technology will be in it interrupting the real estate agent model like it will reduce people well it the real estate agent will not even be opening doors in the future there will be lock boxes for that there already are <laughs> and shuffling paperwork between a buyer and a seller is going to go towards digital we we just won't be needed and and probably marketplaces will be uh open ended as well similar to to what i've seen in scandinavia where there is a price there is an open bid and people are just bidding into it so the us based market of or industry for real estate agents which is there's 1.5 million of us and they're all running around saying let me help you sell your house for the most amount of money in the least amount of time and let me help you buy your dream home and it's an, an industry that represents the largest trade association in north america that is in for a really rough ride uh, th this is just my personal opinion and so i think that if we are professionals in these arenas that require a general skill set then where where do we need to go and that's why i say hold hold where you know that the industry is headed and and what do we need to do to get there and there's so many different creative ways to do that that's why i think it's it's so amazing to see the different business models that are coming up with right now like that that gives me so much inspiration to hear how you're putting it together and how other people are putting it together um because we need that and we need we need the the simultaneous like raise the message make sure that people are are becoming aware that these options are out there um uh, and i think at the same time the market is is increasing for that i get really tired of people saying that what we're doing is the future of real estate uh, because more and more it's you know this is now this is present we we need this more than ever and um i think it's a little bit tricky of like how do we make sure that we're not greenwashing or well washing um but really staying true to how do we work with those we don't have to talk to everybody but how do we talk to that sliver of the population or the businesses that are looking to create these kinds of experiences and places um so i'm not sure if that that rings true to you or not but i i am curious because wellness is one of those um topics that a lot of particularly commercial developers i think that they're starting to watch the wellness real estate trend but it's purely from this amenity how do we how do we provide this amenity like a spa so that we can call it wellness and then just increase our prices um so i find it a tricky a tricky thing like there's a little bit of stickiness around wellness real estate at least in in the united states uh and i'm curious what what your perspective is on that yeah i'm very much seeing it now as a as any brand or developer needing to go a lot further than just sticking in some some wellness oriented facilities i think there's been a clear shift post covid to a more balanced mental and physical wellness consideration that before i think was probably more slanted towards purely physical i think it is now much more um yeah 50-50 in that sense i think yes there are facilities and you know, essentially with biofit i'm i'm delivering those facilities so uh it can be anything from a um, yeah 
a, a gym space to a yoga room, a meditation suite, an indoor basketball court. But those facilities that are, yeah, ticking boxes, but also getting people moving and active and, and establishing a mind-body connection. But if that's all it is, uh, it can feel now in a competitive market, such as, for example, uh, student accommodation, which is a, a boom boom sector right now in, in Europe. I'm, I'm working with a, a big brand there in, in the UK with seven or eight in the pipeline. And you know, you need a complete comprehensive wellness strategy and a plan around not just even the healthy building, but going beyond that into how can you provide um, mental health support, what kind of content that people need within the residential context, in this case, students. So Gen Alphas, what are they gonna, what could they benefit from in terms of not just having access to facilities, uh, but also access to content and um, ways for them to be supported in their day-to-day -day life. And I think you know, clearly there's the facilities themselves. Then you have the healthy building movement and a lot of direction there is coming from the sort of 360 degree healthy building certifications, obviously like well, uh, but then these sort of micro certifications that are coming in that are slicing up, like salami slicing that healthy building concept and just focusing on one thing, be that indoor air quality, for example, or active travel, uh, active methods of transportation to and from a building that you're going to, you can get certified for that. You can get certified for indoor air quality, certified for the uh, materials that you're using in an, in an interior fit out. So we have the big giants at the top who are trying to give a 360 view. And then we have a second generation of these healthy building standards coming through that, that make it a bit more accessible for developers to take a smaller bite of the pie. They both have roles to play. I think a lot of the, the benchmarks and the thought leadership is coming from those certification schemes that really uh, provide a lot of guidance. I think once you get into it, you can also see how perhaps you can go a bit further in some cases or how you can be creative about combining different credits and benefits and concepts in one space. And that's where it can get quite fun. So not just seeing these wellness real estate standards as uh, a box ticking exercise and just about racking up credits and scores, but actually about, well, what's the experience that we're delivering first? And let's, let's design the building or the spaces around that whilst having you know, the, the textbook open on your desk, basically saying, okay, well, yeah, we want to get well platinum. How can we do that? But also let's not forget what the experience is like of being, being in this building. And, and therefore, I think that's where the innovation can come from as well. So wellness, real estate, healthy buildings, and that combination of, of strategy and a plan that goes beyond just delivering spaces to actually considering how they work and how you can activate them and ensure that they stay active once the building opens. The last thing you want is to be, you know, well platinum certified and you've got a bunch of white elephant spaces that never get used because uh, you didn't figure out how easy it was for people to move in and, I don't know, access the wellness lighting that's going on there and, you know, turn on the bird song and the biophilic sounds and you've got five different controllers. The day-to-day -day reality of doing this stuff is, is that. It's 
great. We need sound, scent. Uh, we've got the, the lighting happening. We've got the healthy materials. We've got an indoor air quality monitor. How is the building management company dealing with uh, five, six different things happening in each space? And so there has been this sort of barrage of, of information and concepts that have you know, broadly fallen into the wellness real estate space. I think, I think the next phase in that evolution is, is a synthesis in a sense and trying to yeah, perhaps focus on what's really making a difference in terms of the well-being of, of users, people, the occupants of that space. And I think that, that perhaps leads me on, on to a question, but you know, for me, the idea of you know, regeneration and going perhaps beyond sustainable real estate. I think now the line of sustainable, well, yeah, green and healthy, it's in the name of, of my podcast, but yeah, I think that line is no longer as clear as it was. It's very much two sides of the same coin. But I think I'd be interested to hear how you see the concept of regeneration going somehow beyond established ideas of sustainability and how it can not just limiting the damage, right? It's as much as anything about doing more good, but what does that really look like in a, in a single family residential context, for example? So there, there's a fine line to this. Um, there, the concept of good, good and bad, that's, that's pretty subjective. Like we can all agree that, that what, what I think is good might, be, might not be good from, from your perspective. So I think that the simplistic graph that people will see of this is what conventional real estate looks like, you know, and, and up and to the right, it's what green real estate looks like. And this is what sustainability looks like. And this is what regeneration looks like. It's about doing uh, more good rather than less bad. That's a, that's a rallying cry that I think um, our brains, whenever we're used to really short bursts of, of media can grasp onto, but I, I would like to make the, that distinction that uh, it's not really about doing less bad or more good, but it's about how do we use this, this site, this building, this project to help transform the whole. And it's like an acupuncture point in that regard. Uh, so it's, it's trying to figure out what you can do to move past this linear equation that I, I think the industry really likes to put out there of, of net zero. Well, net zero what? So net zero energy, net zero water, like where, where, do, we, where do we try to take this? And, and I really like that concept of how do we move into net positive? How do we, how do we go past the restore to, and, and revitalize to like, we are now really embracing life giving. Um, and, and to your point earlier, what the, the same thing that I'm so skeptical about from the well washing and the green washing, it's almost like you need those commercial movers. Uh, and I, I tend to be a little bit skeptical because I, I understand like having to put together pro formas for these big projects, it's, it's a formula of how do we increase our, our rent roll uh, so how do we sell amenities to our tenants, like biophilic lighting and healthy indoor spaces and like nutritious food and employee programs and, and things like that, uh, because that increases the net operating income of the building and it accordingly increases the value of the building. Um, but 
it there so that is translating into the US market at least from one end of the market is really embracing kind of that wellness technology side that is really cool that's really needed uh, i wish more and more people had the luxury to to really think about indoor air quality and the materials that we're using we've commodified our our housing so by the time that i'd say the mainstream population is actually able to get into a home that they can't afford it, you don't want to they don't want to know about emfs they don't want to know about uh, healthy buildings, they are just glad that they have a home to live in. And maybe you can talk about paints that don't have uh, as much fumes in them as, as another paint line. Um, so I, I, I'm glad that there are those commercial movers that have the money flowing through them to, to create that market and that awareness. But at the other end, what I see it as really being able to embrace what this concept of regeneration is, is through food and agriculture. And more and more people are saying, why the hell do we have all these lawns? Uh, thank you to, to Britain for kind of <laughs> showcasing the English garden to us, um, because that concept really took on. And now it's just these like huge toxic monocultured areas that more and more scientists are linking towards uh, autoimmune diseases, sickle cell anemia, cancer is just proliferating. Children below the age of 17 or 52% of them are, de uh, are having to deal with chronic lifelong illnesses that they're going to be combating uh, for the rest of their lives. Our cancer rate has exploded in this country too, where, you know, hundred years ago, it was like one in a hundred people by the mid 1970s was one in 20. Now it's one in two males are going to be developing cancer within their lifetime and one in three for females. So marginally better. Um, but that is a direct correlation with how do we, how do we create a, an environment that's not going to require pesticides and it's actually going to bring back life because we're trying to encourage pollinators and we're not going to have to worry about what the supermarkets are are stocking on the shelves and where it's coming from, from thousands of miles away, or even if it's a local conventional farm that sprays a bunch of crap on it, um, more and more people are, are really embracing this concept around ecological design and permaculture. And I see that being such an amazing mental model for people to understand what regeneration really is. Um, and, and that's where more and more for the development side of things, we're seeing ambitious developers take these two models between a farm and particularly regenerative farming um, and housing and try to combine them and they're tricky but i see a lot of opportunity and uh and growth in that sector i'm i'm curious if if that's going on within europe or the uk and and how the agriculture and the food piece is really informing the projects that you're involved in? Yeah, the answer is yes, it is. I'm seeing more of it happening in the hospitality space. So around rural hotels that combine a, let's say a short stay residential experience with essentially an agricultural setting uh, where it's sort of farm to table, zero kilometers distance from, from the farm to the food, to the kitchen. And it's often hoteliers with 
yeah, well-stocked bank accounts, let's put it that way, who are able to take the lead. And we are now starting to see some mixed-use real estate or residential-led real estate developments in the UK that are, are adopting a similar approach and saying, yeah, whether this, we call it a flight to the land or just the shift in, in values that's been especially obvious post-COVID in, in Europe as people start to think about what life could be like away from cities. And then, yeah, you do get into that interesting space of a symbiotic relationship. I think it flows both ways. There really is a lot to be taken from these larger scale commercial developments where, yeah, there's ESG funds way up there in the value chain pushing down. And of course they, they, they insist on playing the game in terms of lead and well standards. And, you know, that's all great. That's great. And I think what I see there is as it trickles down through the industry to smaller developments, both on the residential side and in, in smaller mixed use developments, you know, often a developer is faced with the reality that is, you know, that's an expensive process, not just to go through the certification itself, but to actually implement all of these different requirements is, is huge. And it's not always applicable to smaller pieces, but you can still take elements of it. The certification itself is great. It gives recognition, but when there isn't a huge ESG fund behind a project, then, you know, it's absolutely fine. And I've had this conversation many times now to take the lessons from the thought leaders on the front edge who have the money to do the research projects, to do the in the deep dives in terms of pulling together the latest data behind this. You know, we can take elements of that and apply them to a smaller scale project. You don't have to do 10 out of 10. It's okay. But start with two or three. And, and perhaps, you know, further down the line, there's, there's scope to integrate more and, you know, costs come down around certain elements. You know, it, I'd rather have that conversation with a, a developer to say, you don't have to be perfect, but please, if you can do two or three out of 10, let's do two or three out of 10. I can help you with that. You don't need to certify it. All of that can come later or never. Don't be limited by uh, what's happening in the, at the other end of the industry where it is all, you know, so much more rigid it has to be because there's, there's far bigger numbers so i see it flowing in both directions and, and i think that's where i get quite yeah, inspired by what's what's going on now so whilst bigger bigger developments feeding down into smaller ones and the smaller developments taking elements of what's happening elsewhere but equally you know it can be those smaller more agile developers or hoteliers just one property you know 15 20 25 rooms 30 keys in a rural estate, but they're doing amazing things because that scale and their independence allows them to act fast and be agile and to create their own little idyllic worlds that can actually teach the bigger players a lot as well. And you know that's where the magic is happening. If, if the two can start to feed off each other so that they're not disconnected entities at opposite ends of, of the industry, but rather it can be this happy interplay of, of macro and micro, you know, complete 360 visions of health and wellness and sustainability, but also, uh, you know, much more focused visions where it's, it is an independent 
hotelier or real estate developer who just has this raw passion and interest in getting something done. And that that one example can make a different reality possible. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the book unites a lot of people in this industry increasingly I see is, is a shared value system. And so we do keep an eye out. There is a lot of interchange going on. There's a lot of, yeah, looking for sources of inspiration at different ends, at different corners of the market. And that dialogue, in a sense, what we're doing here and what your different guests, my guests do and how they can connect and, and you know, that stuff is, is magic. And I, I think it would be a shame if we lost that as this whole space gets bigger. I feel like it's at a, a size now where uh, it's just manageable. Of course, it has to grow as it dissipates and spreads and connects with more and more of the market. But it's just at that point, maybe it's like a tipping point in a way, but it's just at the right size where, yeah, we, we can make connections and we can keep an eye on everything that's not everything, but much of what's happening in our industry and so much of the creativity at both ends of the spectrum can, can come together. And, and really that's what's pushing the whole game forward. And so I think there is no hard line down the center of this game, just as there is no uh, vertical access, access between green and, and healthy, right? So you've had a whole bunch of guests on, on your show. I wondered how that experience of connecting with people on the other side of, of the mic had perhaps influenced what you do and how it's pushed your business forward or if there's been then opportunities to connect and interconnect guests and that's certainly the experience that I've had and it's it's been very positive but I wondered if you've had similar yeah and I there is a blessing and a curse <laughs> to to talk with the industry leaders from around the world uh we had a great architect on Amir Ayub out of Egypt, and that that led me down uh, a really interesting inquiry into what is it like to uh, to think about wellness and regeneration within that kind of context. Uh, we've had some interesting guests on from the UK, not too many, uh, but it's it's great to have you on, and and then a lot from North America, and. The shiny object syndrome with me is real. You know, you see what what people are doing, and like, oh my god, that's really cool. Let me do some of that. Um, but I think some of the patterns that I really pick up on, and I'm with you. Like it, the market size right now is pretty manageable. I would love to see that grow. I, not selfishly, just as a matter of fact. Like we need it to grow. But the big bottleneck that I'm seeing is that the financing is not quite there yet. Um, within, because we were talking about agriculture earlier and regenerative agriculture particularly, we see a lot of ESG funds and sovereign wealth funds that wanna get into this uh, kind of land play to, to be springboarding biodiversity and all these great things, but the funds are so misaligned with the activities and the timelines and and how that works like they really need the land to appreciate at, on a commodity basis they really need tenant tenant farmers that don't have equity in properties uh with little say in, in how things really go to provide that cash flow for a 10-year fund horizon uh, on the residential side we're we're really constrained that 
we have a great product in the United States for a 30-year mortgage that people can access. Uh, but outside of that, there's not a lot of additional funds if you want to transform a landscape or, uh, I mean, there's been iteration within the solar panel world and, and things like that, but it still is pretty inaccessible for people. Um, and, and so really looking at all these guests and seeing how they're making it work and iterating on their business models and, and really trying to figure out what is the right financing to unlock? Where does the capital come from? Um, there's a, a developer friend of ours named Aaron Fairchild, and he runs a really incredible uh, cross-laminated timber modular construction company. And, and he says, you know, we had to create a business that aligned with the capital sources. Uh, I've done something very different. We've created a business that did not align with capital sources, and we've been forced to, to bootstrap and really kind of figure out what on earth we're talking about. Um, and so I, I think that's really uh, the underlying theme that comes, comes from all these guests, great ideas, high passion, but when the rubber meets the road, how, how do we make it work in a market economy? is the question that I'm still sitting with. I mean, there's glimmers of hope from crowdfunding and, and getting away from just institutional or high net worth individuals. Um, blockchain and Web3 is like, blows my, my brains wide open and, and I would love more people to, to help inform me of, of what the lay of the land is there and where that's going, uh, like the tokenization and all that. So that, that's the nuggets as well as the bottlenecks that I see. Um, what about you? What you have some incredible guests on, like, I love the diversity of your show because, uh, it's about sustainability and it's about wellness and, and you've got like healthy building biologists to, um, you know, all, all over the board. What, what is that like being a podcast host with that array of expertise that comes on? Yeah, essentially I'm, I'm talking to businesses and brands that are contributing to creating greener, healthier spaces. So the parameters are that they are in some way to do with the built environment. But I think you know, immediately it became clear that focusing, for example, just on designers or architects or construction companies, you know, that was really only a very small piece of, of a far wider concept now so you know it arguably the most like listener friendly podcast episodes are the ones around like, pure biophilia so if i do something on you know uh, bio design uh, or green rooftops or plant suppliers doing green walls and like really funky visuals uh, that accompany it then you know you get a lot of hits on on that one but i think it's just as important to to look at some of the for example like the technology that's coming through around uh, smart building tech and how uh, different companies are, are working sort of join the dots between um yeah the building's performance and and data and building management we've looked at um yeah air quality monitors and, and healthy building standards like reset for example which was more to do with air and now they're doing air materials and all manner of other things materials then led me down a separate path we spoke to 
the Healthy Materials Lab out of New York, and there's a whole range of uh, healthy material suppliers out there now. I spoke to one in the UK called Master of Stuff, who have uh, real specialization in supplying exactly that, uh, healthy stuff. <laughs> so there's so many different players. And I think as much as anything, it's in a sense responding to those those questions that come in. I'm like, yeah, how can how can I, as as you know, a student or, or a young up and coming professional, what can they contribute? And I think as much as anything, I'm trying to give a voice to the many different facets within this industry because there is an increasing number of, of products and services out there that are all becoming suddenly increasingly uh, vital to, to what we do. And um, it's it's a very dynamic space. And there's there's both a combination of, of design-led pieces and brands. There's also a lot of uh, tech innovation and even through to, to content. So it may feel like we're on the outer edge of, of what classifies as as contributing to a green and healthy space, but I do come back to it. You know, the idea that building the building and, and you know, handing it over, handing over the keys or handing over to a facilities management company or, or the operations company as the developer and then they step back, you know, it's, it's, it's just not enough. It, it then becomes, well, how is the building operating and how is it living once it, it moves into the operational phase? And so. Yeah, oftentimes we're looking at brands that are contributing to that experiential side. So that can be more content-based things such as biophilic sounds uh, and apps that provide guidance on, on meditation and, and mindfulness. And so it's, it is a broad spectrum, but it's very much informed by my being you know, day in, day out, up to my eyeballs in, in this stuff and, and the, the reality of having to often, to pick up on your point around collaboration, you know, for anyone working in this wellness, real estate, healthy building space, biophilic design consultancy, you know, it's oftentimes you're bringing other people to the table because I'm not, I'm not the expert in, in biophilic sounds. I need a guy for that. Uh, so you end up with a little black book of really great talented people who are experts in their own field. And it's, it's just impossible to try, it just, it's not advisable to try and you know, fudge that. It's much better to be the guy that can bring the right person to the table at the right price at the right time with the right brief. And so often, you know, it is a very collaborative process. It, it might be me and my, my small little team as a, as a company, but we're then bringing other people in because there's just so many different components and each one of those really requires a specialist. You know, you want to make your own forest inspired, uh, indoor, um, natural forest bathing scent. Well, you need, a, you need a, an expert in that. And, you know, clients are, uh, I think increasingly aware that that's that's the way to get it done or to do it right. Um, I would never, I wouldn't want to go down a path where you, you try to sort of bring all of that in house. I think it's much better to, to let those respective suppliers do what they do and uh, and let them focus on that one little slice of the market and then be able to to introduce them to 
each client as it comes. But that is, you know, I would say one of the more strategic benefits of having done this now for a couple of years with the podcast is that, yeah, you, you build that network. You're building a connection with people, spending some time with them before, during, and after the call. You then suddenly do develop a list of, let's say, uh, external partners that can then be introduced at the right time and place for client work going forward. And so, you know, it's been perhaps an unexpected benefit of, of doing this, uh, but it's become quite central to, to my work. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that it would, it would go that way. Um, but I think, you know, you're either trying to build a giant business and, and, you know, hire these people in, and then you become a little bit of everything, or you say, well, actually, I'm going to stick to my lane on this. Uh, and that's what I can do. And here's where I think you need to bring experts in. Are you, there must be a component of, of what you do where you'll be asked for advice on, on a specific piece of, of the regenerative real estate puzzle. And do you find yourself in saying, well, look, actually, I have a guy for that. Or is it easier sometimes to say, well, look, we can give you the top line as a, as a sort of yeah, a service that you provide for clients? Or is it better from your perspective to be completely transparent and bring that person to the table? Or do you have, is there not much call for that? Is it very specific what you do? I So I love your model because you, there's a richness to playing the connector. And in being really transparent that you, you are the connector and the, the orchestra, uh, the conductor of, of things, uh, but you rely upon that network. And that's why I love the medium of podcasts because it's such an amazing opportunity, especially whenever uh, our podcast started in 2020, I mean, COVID restrictions hit and you essentially were able to say, go to these innovative leaders and say, here's a microphone do you want an opportunity to come onto the show? So I think we had a, a little bit of an advantage whenever we started the podcast. Um, a latent potential that we have is all these values aligned businesses that are working in the areas where we have change agents. So they are licensed real estate professionals. And now we're, we're even starting to expand where it is real estate professionals that wanna be working in the arena of regenerative real estate we really encourage them to go out and find those designers and architects and engineers and uh, landscape designers and, and invite them into our ecosystem directory. And this is not a, a money-making thing. We don't charge any businesses to be in that, that directory, but there is so much uh, that goes on when people are coming into our website and they are trying to figure out, well, how do I do this with with a property that I own, they can go search those businesses in our directory and, and make connections that we don't even know about. Like I'll hear about them months or years later. And I think that's really cool. And it's also the exact same directory that whenever I get hired on as a consultant for a project, I'm going there and I'm saying, who do we know in this region or with this expertise that we can draw from? So I get to I get to draw from our change agent community and what expertise lies in that. And then I get to draw from our ecosystem directory and, and what skills are in there. Uh, and so I, I want to put more emphasis on that going forward. But yeah, I mean, I, our business model is very similar. Like we play the connector role. And I think that's very valuable. 
And what about in terms of geography? Are you seeing particular hotspots? We're in real estate, so it's inherently location specific. You know, I, I tend to focus, uh, I guess, based partly on where I am in Southern Europe, in, in Spain, with one foot back in, in London, with an English language website. So the UK is always bubbling along with work, but then my base here in Spain, I do work in Portugal and Greece. So I've got this sort of Southern European thing. And then occasionally the US will pop up uh, as, as a, yeah, with, it, with client work. And it's always there on my radar, but I haven't quite got to the point where I'm able to see, okay, within that huge geographic area that is the USA, like where are the, the hotspots for regenerative real estate as you see it? And perhaps there's sort of multiple within your own particular region, but at a broad level, how do you see that? Oh, yeah. I got to be careful on this one. Um... The need is everywhere. Let, let's establish that baseline. It it trends a little bit more coastal on east and west coast. That's typically your more progressive leaning states. Uh, there's a little bit more money there as well. Urban areas are always, I think that there's a lot of potential towards urban regeneration. And that's where thought leaders are. That's where capital is. That's where people are still living. Even like we've had a lot of migration um, patterns be disrupted because of COVID. So like small areas now all are all of a sudden um, becoming really hot and the real estate market's going up and more people are buying land that they don't really know how to manage. Um, if I was to, to kind of do things over, I'd be much more strategic about the markets that we want to get into. Um, they're in general, I see a lot of enthusiasm coming out of Australia and I get a lot of an inspiration with the design community, particularly out of, out of Australia, uh, a little bit out of New Zealand. Portugal seems to be this like going through this resurgence of eco villages that I think is really cool. Uh, I love the, the European agro-tourism movement, especially like the agriturismos or whatever out of out of Italy, um, there there's stuff going on there that that kind of percolates into our world. Um, I don't really know what to to think about this Latin America expat trend to go create eco villages there. Like though they try to come into our world, and I have a pretty high barrier of entry uh, where I filter those out. Just I mean. We've gone this whole podcast without me really talking about this, but it's something that is real central to me that uh, a difference between sustainable real estate and regenerative real estate, like the green real estate aspect and the sustainable real estate aspect does a really good job of not thinking too hard about the social dynamics and, and justice work that's uh, really an important factor as, as we talk about who owns land and what the access is there. Uh, so a, a bunch of pretty well-off white expats going to, and moving to Costa Rica to set up their utopian eco-village with this new earth development movement. I um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of interest there, but I just, there's something in my gut that gives me a bit of hesitation. <laughs> so I'll, let's, I'll... let's, but let's look at the concept itself then around community and, and going beyond say, just a social policy piece to community building and also 
some sense of that connection to the land and respect for the land because that is quite i see that in something like the uh the living uh, living future institute the ilfi international living future institute you see that they're incorporating language around uh respect for place around culture and regenerative concepts but other than that it is often left out i think i think you're right i think we're seeing more diversity equity and inclusion thinking particularly when there's again esg players somewhere in the mix but that idea of of community and respect for the land and perhaps the heritage of the land and the ancestors who passed before in that land like that's that's interesting talk to me a bit about that thing because it you know it, it's obviously a filter that you're able to apply but it is a high bar it, it then sets the bar pretty high right yeah i gosh th this is such a rich conversation that deserves a whole separate a whole podcast on series on this um right now we're going through some pretty high tensions where we're kind of uh coming out of the really high tensions around the black lives matter movement in the united states and i don't want to say that we're, we're past it by any stretch like i think it's it's really just beginning and, and rightly so but social justice is such a hot button issue uh especially around the indigenous communities as well and i see a real tension between cultural appropriation and cultural cultural appreciation uh, so it's how do we have that earth-centric approach to inhabiting place that isn't stealing from other people's cultures but appreciating that we are indigenous to this planet we all come from very land-based eco-spiritual cultures and in, in our past um, and we're going to have to kind of re-remember our role as human beings that we are a keystone species that create habitat for other species uh, and that if biodiversity declines and, and falls that that's not a detriment just to biodiversity but it is a detriment to our own fate um, and that's why I think that this isn't just a carbon problem, that it's a linear equation of how many solar panels can we put on or how much carbon can we put back into our soils. Um, so I, I think what I'm really attuning myself to personally is what does it look like in a market economy where affordability has just run amok? You know, we we all want cheaper interest rates to get in to get financing into to homes or development projects. But there's that cheap financing also pushes prices up. So more and more, I think, I mean, people call it late stage capitalism. I, I don't know. I mean, I, who am I to say? Um, but I think we need to start looking or the most innovative projects that I see are the ones that are able to hold that complexity and tension and try to at least address affordability and access and recognition and, and appreciation uh, and and not just like you know we're we're going for a straight profit play um, that that is my definite definition of greenwashing or well washing um, so how do we do this with sensitivity it reminds me a little bit of um, a book I was reading uh, a few weeks ago the wayfinders uh, by a Canadian anthropologist called uh, Wade Davis. It was a 
the subtitle Why Ancient Wisdom Matters in the Modern World. And, you know, it's one of those books that I think will just live on now on my, on my shelves and hopefully one day I'll pass on to my kids. But the idea that that's some combination of ancient and modern wisdom, rather than all one or all the other, but that there's so much that can still be learned from more traditional cultures. And rather than just completely disregarding those concepts as being outdated and irrelevant, if you can find a way mentally to place it not on the pedestal, but with equal weight to what's going on around us in this industry, around us in real estate, if you can be open-minded enough to look at the world through that lens, as well as through the lens of all these various certification schemes and, and ESG and, and all the rest, you know, there is some magic to be had in, in that combination. And, that, and I think there was something behind that in that original idea that I had around, you know, creating this sort of, I don't know, like an ancient, ancient wisdom uh, exercise space you know, that, that wasn't to be necessarily, but it led me in a whole bunch of other directions. And, and I think there is something there around a slightly different set of values that, that is inspired and, and informed by what's gone before. And it doesn't actually need to be all about what's the most modern and uh, you know, contemporary just for its own sake, but actually perhaps there, I think some blend of the two is actually how you come out at a, at a positive outcome. And, but that can be a difficult step to make, you know, especially when there's, when you're in a big commercial context, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. We're dealing with politics. We're dealing with migration. We're, we're also a really globalized society. So something that might be going on in Syria impacts the Europe in, in a way that we never even thought it impacts the United States. Um, I love that you brought in Wade Davis. One of my favorite quotes of him, because he is Canadian, is that living in Canada is like living above the apartment with the meth lab in it. Um, and sometimes it, it feels like that of like, we, we have a political system in, in the United States that's so divisive and it's, uh, sometimes hard to make progress, but, um, Matt, I, I think that we, we certainly deserve around two. I, I'd love to make this more of like a, a regular thing, uh, of how do we just check in and see what's going on in Europe and, and really tracking, um, everything that, that you're doing with Biophilico and, uh, green and healthy places. Um, it, it's so cool to have that cultural exchange and just different different lenses on things. So this was a really, this is an amazing treat for me. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to, to come together and, and create this. Absolutely. It's, it's exactly, I think, why we, we both set out to, to do this, uh, this, yeah, this, this, this journey that is creating and building a community around a podcast. But then beyond that, how it can influence and, and inform our own work outside of, of recording audio together. It's then, well, you know, how is, am I going to take what we've spoken about today and, and push that through into the projects that I'm delivering and perhaps in some small way, vice versa, right? It's, it really is about uh, dissemination of ideas and, and cross-cultural connections. And, and you know, that, that is where it's at. Like, that's, we need more of it. It's reading books or exchanging audio files via on podcast, it's all good. So uh, it's been great. I appreciate uh, the invitation to do it. And yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll go for a part two sometime. Yeah, amazing. And and for everybody that is subscribers to the Regenerative Real Estate Podcast, you've got to check out Green and Healthy Places. Uh, you'll, you'll find a, 
Matt's drinking from a, the same well uh, and with some some great guests that we we don't have. So, Matt, thank you. Thank you for your time. And, and I look forward to round two. Pleasure. Thank you.